0: Welcome back to the Train a Happy podcast with me, Tally Rye. This is the podcast that helps you feel good about fitness, food, and body image. And this week, I am chatting to what turned out to be my absolute life twin, Johnny Landles. Now, Johnny and I have had such a similar trajectory. Um, I don't want to spoil too much, but our parents may have died at a similar point, and we may have also stumbled into musical theatre at points in our lives, and ended up in the fitness industry. We had such an excellent chat. I love chatting to Johnny. I felt like we had so much to discuss from a male perspective about intuitive eating, diet culture, health at every size. And I think it's really rare that you find people like Johnny talking about this from someone who... You know, we get into the podcast. He was very entrenched in diet culture, he was a CrossFit coach, he you know worked with people for weight loss, and now he is working in an anti-diet way. You have to excuse me, everyone, because I'm babysitting my in-law's dog. And if you're hearing someone just getting a little bit excited in the background, that's Barney. That's Barney the dog. And we love having him (laughs) here. And I'm recording at home today. But we're right aren't we, Barney? Yeah? Do you want to say hello to everyone? He's he's looking at you guys, just so you know. But of course, before we get into the episode, it is time for Train Happy Trooper of the week. This week's train happy moment comes from Gemma. Gemma says, Hi Tally, I felt inspired to message you as I just tried my first body pump class. It was really high intensity and I didn't particularly enjoy it. It felt pressured and too much. After the class, a friend asked if I would do it again. And I said, no. No. The instructor overheard and then questioned me on it. I said I prefer to work out at my own pace, but that it was clearly a popular class, and she said that I shouldn't give up after my first class. Historically, I would have let that go, but today I felt frustrated by it and I calmly replied, I don't feel like I am giving up the class, it just isn't for me. Thank you for giving me the confidence to stand up for what I actually like in exercise. I feel like I now know what I like and won't be pressured by a, quote, well-meaning instructor. Gemma, I love that story. I think it just goes to show how it's really important that, A, we can stand up for ourselves in fitness environments and b we can communicate to people like it's okay for something to not be your thing and it's okay for you to not enjoy something and actually it sounds like you didn't say anything derogatory you just said it's just not for me the class just isn't for me i'm not actually into that too high intensity thing and so i think that's an awesome example of stating your boundaries really with fitness and that's awesome If you would like to share your train happy moment like Gemma, we would love to hear from you. We want to make you train happy trooper of the week. Get in touch with us. You can send us a message or send us a voice note to our WhatsApp. It 075-39-27537. Okay, enough from me. Let's get into this chat with Johnny. I really think you're going to love this one. Johnny, welcome to the podcast. We have a lot in common, but I also think what you're bringing today is a really important male perspective on all the conversations we have on the Train Happy podcast, which weirdly we just don't hear enough of. Um, so no pressure, but um, <laughs> <laughs> you've got to speak for a lot of people. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I think it, it's hard, isn't it? I when I was first learning about disordered eating and you know, body image concerns and all of these much deeper things that I never really had any teaching of or awareness of. I was looking on social media for people to resonate with, you know, and, and to kind of diversify my feed and to and to widen my scope. And there weren't many men out there, you know, and, and I had a podcast recently with um, Sam Previtt, who's the Fine Food Freedom founder. And she mentioned there are quite a few who are in larger bodies who I who I do now follow thanks to her. But even even then, you know, men were hard to find. You know, the people who I, I were finding were female, who were speaking mm-hmm. about you know larger bodied athletes, you know, health at every size, intuitive eating. It was a lot of female voices in the space, and I think that that's probably why it took me a while as well to really start talking about it more, um, because I, I definitely haven't for for years. You know, I was I was very much a diet culture PT for a lot of my earlier fitness profession. Um, and even as I started to learn about disordered eating and intuitive eating and all these things I was still kind of like towing the line really between intentional weight loss and relationships with food and kind of like trying to kind of do the best of both and it was a really challenging time for a lot of my beliefs biases values um, but I was also quite scared I think to show up in in what you know, isn't even, a you know, I'm not in a larger body at all. You know, I've got more body fat than I have in the past, but I do still benefit from straight-bodied privilege. But I I still struggled showing up through fear of uh, rejection, shaming, stigma, um, even, you know, quote-unquote banter, as the lads like to call it, which, which I have very much received. But it was more important for me to kind of own that and step into it, particularly as my... You know, as I did a lot more reading and research to really change those beliefs um, and realise that really the message of a man who has struggled with body image and disordered eating fully and now stepping into an intuitive health every size approach um, is it, very much needed, as you've said.
0: The conversations are not happening and you're right, this space is so dominated by women. You know, there should be more people in sort of marginalised bodies kind of with more presence, but I do feel like that those sorts of people are drawn to this work Mm. and so we aren't hearing from a straight size guy's perspective and I think well I I, I have several questions for you today but Mm. I'm really curious as to what the what the transition has been like you say you started in the fitness industry in very much a traditional diet culture way um likewise I did it's how you're trained to be a personal trainer it's how you're trained to work in fitness and I just wonder what the kind of journey has been for you on a professional level um, mm. and I'm sure it intersects with your personal journey as well which I would love to hear about.
1: Yeah yeah it's as you said it's the way that you're taught isn't it as a, as yeah. a personal trainer to be that way and so it was really um, as I said it was really challenging and difficult because it was one of um, inter- quite a, quite an internal struggle with with sort of food exercise um, a lot of red lights kind of flashing when i was learning about disordered eating and disordered exercise and the kind of mindset and it was very difficult because for a long time i had no knowledge or understanding really of any health at every size literature or any intuitive eating literature it it just wasn't shown to me
0: yeah it's it's not presented as part of the standard kind of education um it's kind of something you you have to sort of seek out and find yourself
1: Yes. You know, as a, as a personal trainer who had, I I had my, my own, like weight loss transformation as, as you'd call it in that, like, I've never really been, you know, in a larger body per se. I've definitely had periods of time where I had larger, like higher levels of body fat than I have now and suffered from sort of bullying and weight stigma from being a bit of a bigger lad when I was in my teens. And so when I got into my sort of early twenties, I was really struggling with different, you know, different meal plans, different Diets, you know, like paleo, bodybuilder meal plans, trying to do like the whole 30 challenge with my, you know, with my CrossFit gym. And the only thing that I found success with was hiring a coach and tracking calories, you know, tracking calories and macros. And when I then lost quite a lot of body fat and became very lean. I then thought, yeah, hey, you know, I've finally beaten this thing that I've struggled with for years. I'm going to become a coach myself and help other people do it.
0: If I can do it, you can do it too. It is the biggest trope in the fitness industry. And I reckon 95% of people working in fitness are of that ilk.
1: (laughs) Yes. And unfortunately, you know, and that was me as well. You know, it's was, was like,
0: me. look I, at this change I've made, me. you
1: know, absolutely zero understanding of the privilege I had to be a full-time mm-hmm. personal trainer, you know, have the privilege to be able to walk to, you know, walk to the tube station, get the tube, walk to work, be on my feet all day. And CrossFit coaching isn't exactly just standing there and teaching, you know, you're going around correcting people's movements, you're showcasing movements, you're doing gymnastics with people as well as training twice a day, might I add, you know, so I'm there eating, 3,500 calories a day, losing fat, being like, yeah, this is, you know, I've got the holy grail, you know, nobody knows about this. Let's go and be a coach. And that's what I did. And so when I went through that period, then it was about 2019, 2020, uh, 2021. So like sort of mid pandemic years, really. When I started to learn more about intuitive eating, disordered eating, um, I was like, <laughs> wow, you know, this is like my life. <laughs> it was just really? it was just ridiculous for me to to look at these things on paper and think, oh wow, like these these are alarm bells for me. Because I, I basically just oscillated from weight effectively from that first transformation in 2015. You know, I'd I'd gain weight, I'd lose weight, I'd gain weight, I'd lose weight. And every time that I lost weight, it was only through either Tracking calories, or doing intermittent fasting, or thinking I was being really scientific about it and being like, "Oh, it's a protein sparing modified fast because I'm having a protein shake for breakfast, and then at lunch I'm only having protein and vegetables, and then that allows me to have a dinner that I enjoy, and then I can have some dessert." And and hey, guys, this is balance, you know. I I look. Can back I at just this-
0: say the thing that guys do with dieting that that it's it's, it's all a diet. It's just all a diet. It's all a diet. But the thing that guys do it is they just they. They science. They like science it. Yes. And they, it's like I'm doing this pro- dieting protocol and this, you know, fasting re- regimen. And it's mm-hmm. like they use words, and it's all flowery technical language.
1: Oh, but it's, it's manly. It's,
0: the, it's manly. It's manly and manly it's, it's, and not it's not strong. Like, yeah, it's not Weight Watchers and it's no. not counting your sins at Slimming World. It is a very evidence based way of yes. eating that kind of tech bros do that these super productive
1: you mm-hmm. know
0: masculine men do and that is and it's so interesting that that's how it's branded but it's yeah
1: it's,
0: it's all the same thing
1: it's still diet culture you, you you talked earlier about like men not kind of talking about anti-diet space and things like that i think it's because they just don't even resonate with the word you know it, yeah. it's 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 the wording they of that as you they said diet. No No
0: one thinks they diet, it's protocol.
1: I am doing evidence-based scientific feeding protocols so that I can be my best self. And it's like, it is a diet.
0: Bro, and is like, your best self a smaller version of the body you're already in? Probably. Right. Oh, that's interesting though. It's not always a smaller version, is it? It's maybe more a leaner version or a more muscular version. Because I think...
1: If we're talking about men, yeah.
0: When we think of anti-diet spaces and we talk about this pursuit of intentional weight loss and the idea that we're always trying to be the thin ideal and all of these things. If you're a guy, you're probably not resonating with that so much because you want to be jacked you want to have big biceps big shoulders Mm -hmm. you want to have Mm -hmm. that v-shaped body there's a low level of body fat percentage you're probably aiming for but that doesn't equate to thinness you don't want to be thin
1: you want to be jacked
0: and they're two different for women it's like try and be small and even if there's like hashtag strong not skinny it's still essentially be a slightly more muscular thin version smaller version yeah a smaller version And I think for men, it's like, how do I, you know, I know so many people who are trying to gain weight, but Mm -hmm. to have a certain aesthetic. So it's Mm. way more aesthetic driven. And, you know, the idea of kind of maybe losing weight may be part of it, but, you know, you don't want to lose muscle mass. That's like the the last thing you want to do. So it's just, it's interesting how it kind of plays out differently. And you're right, I completely get why, therefore talking about the thin ideal does not resonate.
1: No, but even using the word like, anti-diet for example and things don't don't really resonate and and as we speak about this i'm thinking right how do i reach more more men and more blokes because that's obviously my my goal is to help men have this kind of awakening or realization that these methods they've been doing are unsustainable and albeit evidence-based protocols you know evidence-based is always short-term small subjects of people there are outliers in every research study so whenever you're saying something's evidence based it's like well for what for whom what what was achieved what did what actually got shown and nobody actually digs into these things because you have these jacked bros on on Instagram who are like, yeah, man, you know, like I did this protein sparing modified fast and my feeding window is sixteen eight And I wake up every morning and do two hours of cardio fasted. And then my, you know, my body's a fat burning machine. And then I break my fast with bulletproof coffee because I don't want to spike my glucose. And the guy's like, yeah, this all makes really, you know, sense. Like he's jacked. So he must know what he's talking about. Just completely blind to being brainwashed to like, oh, I want to look like this guy, not realizing, mm. Any other supplements that might be involved. And
0: they've got a discount code for that. (laughs) Oh yeah, of
1: course they do. Yeah. Don't eat processed foods, but do buy my supplements that only I produce. Red flag. (laughs) And And it and it comes back to the same thing. It's still a rigid way of controlling your food intake in an external paradigm to try and force a body shape change, to try and force an aesthetic change, which inevitably will be rebounded from or might not even work in the first place for you because you are a different person.
0: Yes. I mean, we think of it in the same from like a female perspective, you know, train like me to look like me. Mm. And I think that's such a prevalent message, even if it's very subconscious, but it's Mm -hmm. the reason that people who are promoting their workout plans very specifically show their abs in photos, very specifically Mm -hmm. pose in a certain way. If they're leading with their body as the marketing tool, it's a, red a, flag. Flag that it's a red flag because I think also a lot of these people, especially with a hu- with really big audiences, you know, they've never been in a bigger body. There's a huge genetic component. There's a huge privilege component in the sense that you say when your job is to to work out to look a certain way to be a you know the the body the visual of your business, you know, that's what you're spending your time and energy thinking about. Exactly. The average person working a a normal nine to five, maybe they've got kids, they've got, you know, older parents that they've got to look after, they've got all sorts going on. Mm -hmm. There isn't the time and energy to focus into this, but if I do what they do, I I could do it and I should be doing it. And why haven't you been doing it? You're lazy.
1: Well, that's the toxic storm of the fitness industry, isn't it? Right? Like, look at me. I've done this. I've made this a priority for my life. And therefore, so should you. You're like, oh, you've, Mm -hmm. you've got kids well, you know, well, oh, I, I have kids too, but I've paid I've, I've paid for a nanny. That's really how, oh, oh, sorry, you don't have disposable income because you paid all your money on this coaching. Oh, right, well, it just it just sounds to me like you don't want it enough. Yeah. Can we have some realistic empathy, please, in the fitness industry? It's just our job as fitness professionals are to make people, you know, healthier. And I think then that was the, you know, going back to kind of my journey, that was the big realization for me of when I was reading disordered eating literature and intuitive eating literature. And I was like, this is describing the last five years of my life and i'm finally realizing why i felt you know so compulsive around food why i felt like food you know i couldn't i couldn't stop eating certain foods why i've never been able to listen to my hunger and appetite why i've always struggled with emotional eating emotional regulation you know that's a whole other journey in and of itself as well and and then as i as i said as i read the health at every size literature it was just a big sort of a big eye opener to this this new lifestyle of like okay actually if we're looking at you know healthy habits and a healthy relationship with food to create health rather than just the you know the size of someone's pants that was a a big thing for me to be like this is actually what's going to help people because it it's it's actually you know helping you heal your relationship with food heal your relationship with exercise and actually get healthy without all of this you know yo-yo dieting or constant search for leanness if you're a bloke, you know, this constant excessive um, scientific protocol stuff that you never stay on board with, this constant off-track, on-track. That's all just made up. You know, it's all just made up. It's like marketing. It's like, mm. it's all just made up. You know, people are saying, oh yeah, well you should eat this way to get X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, who's saying this? You know, you've we, we've, cut, we've you've lived a for a thousand years. Gotta- yeah, it's all just made up.
0: I think that largely leads to that binge-restrict cycle on a very normalised way, because mm. especially and and you and I probably had I am thinking similar timelines in our relationship with fitness, and I know that especially around 2015 is peak kind of popularity of bodybuilding's bodybuilding style training. You know, mm-hmm. CrossFit. I know you're kind of involved in that, and so that is very much about you cut for the summer and you do these like 20 week six month even like 16 weeks or shred and then you bulk for the winter where you kind of get to eat loads but you're training really hard and you're getting those hashtag gains (laughs) but really it's describing a very normalized binge restrict
1: is a very normalized disordered eating pattern
0: absolutely but it's not called that it's a cut and a bulk
1: it's a cut and a bulk and therefore it's scientific and therefore you know it's proven this guy this guy on youtube you know this professional bodybuilder's done it look at that guy as you said there about the societal ideal for body shape for women it's the you know the thin ideal and take up less space for guys it's lean jacked it's the men's health physiques it's the Wolverines the James Bonds it's great to see more men speaking about that because again another eye-opener for me was actually when Freddie Flintoff did his documentary with the BBC
0: which Mm. I don't know if you've
1: seen which was all about men's eating disorders and disordered eating and it was because he was so hammered in the press about his fitness which was just his size you know they were like he's clearly not fit because of xyz and now he's still in a place where he's like I have to exercise every day yeah and I have to exercise twice a day because otherwise i'll I'll gain weight again and i I'll you know I'll not be fit and it's like internalized because of this societal messaging of the way men should look.
0: I haven't seen the whole thing I've watched clips of it, and I felt so much compassion for him, yeah, just wanting to go like, oh God, it's hard and we develop these disordered relationships with food and exercise in our body because ultimately we're trying to cope with something. I don't know what that thing is for you, but. There's, all, there's always a thing that we're trying to cope with. And I think for him, it was probably just abuse in the press, but also this newfound fame, this whole, the pressure of the job. That's the overarching kind of piece of the puzzle really is that, okay, we develop these disordered re- relationship with food and exercise and everything, but why do we do it? You kind of alluded to the, the lack of opportunity for talking about emotions for, Mm. you know, so many of the body types you gave as examples, those superhero body types are... Our superheroes, are men who have it all together, who are, you know, leaders and they're heroes and they're brave and strong and, you know, get the girl and whatever else. And there's not much place for vulnerability in there. Um, You don't see them necessarily being vulnerable or struggling or um, having down days or dealing Mm. with, you know, mental health issues. And so, I think that we have to acknowledge the underlying context of all of this. And I don't know if that's something that you've experienced, like I said, with what you had said before, that there's a part of it where, you know, it's easy to throw yourself into a CrossFit workout and concentrate on what you're eating rather mm-hmm. than deal with some really difficult stuff, you know? With anything
1: else. Yeah. And and, and yeah, you're right, you know, because with, with men, there's very much um, that kind of stigma around... Showing any emotion or being vulnerable, you know, the whole like men don't cry thing that's kind of passed on generation to generation. And, you know, there are definitely people who are, you know, my age and a bit older and even a bit younger who will have had dads and granddads that probably didn't talk to them about those kind of things and didn't share their own you know vulnerabilities or struggles or um their own emotions really because their their own parents and, and you know their own fathers and grandfathers have been told that same message you know like man up be tough be strong don't show weakness it's why like toxic fitness culture for men is so so predatory because it preys in on all of those insecurities right you know be a warrior get up early like bleed from your eyeballs drink egg yolk and bone broth and you know do all of these hard things because you're a man and if you want to be a warrior and you want to be tough and you want to be strong and you want to be a leader then that's what you've got to do and you've got to look like this because otherwise you're not going to get the girl you know you're going to be weak you're going to be frail you're not going to be able to look after your family and you know and all of this other nonsense effectively there's so much as you said about disordered eating disordered eating is a problem that's also trying to solve a problem yeah. Right. So, as you said, like you can easily throw yourself into really intense workouts that actually make you feel horrific and, you know, focus all of your attention in micromanaging all of your food and put all of this focus into kind of ex- these external things to try and get some form of, you know, some form of body transformation. Because then you think like, yeah, then I'll be happy. And then everything's solved. And then you get these things and nothing has changed. And you're like, why aren't I happy? Why, why, like what's actually going on here, and you don't realize that actually you hate your job, and you hate your life, and you've got no hobbies. You've got you know you've got nothing outside of your life anymore because you've devoted it to fitness, and you've actually got some really deep emotional things that you've never really worked on. The issue isn't food; the issue is everything else that you're trying to solve with food.
0: That is so true and so important. I think for people to understand side note for people listening if you are really interested in this listen to our food therapy episode with pixie turner because she's was working in nutrition transitioned to working as a therapist specializing in the kind of roots of that relationship with food because that's what it comes down to mm. and i think you know um her book especially is really profound in that area of
1: yeah
0: you know using a lot of her clients' studies you're like damn like yeah so many reasons we've we you know people are drawn to to this and and develop this coping skill yeah for them you know I have a lot of compassion for my younger self because that that was my thing you know my dad died didn't really know what to do with that um yeah. so I know I will be the fittest leanest strongest person you've ever seen and mm-hmm. all of a sudden um yeah it's five years later and you're you're, down, you're far down a rabbit hole you didn't realize existed, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I love Pixie and her work. And, and it was for similar reasons that I went down the similar, you know, around myself. Like there's been several times I've said to my wife, you know, I think that I needed to go and do a psychology degree or something like because I'm so fascinated by it. And it's why, again, it's why intuitive eating counseling really spoke to me because it was the, the counseling aspect of that and that that was what opened the doors to me into disordered eating and what led me to intuitive eating um because of that relationship with food and and, and how deep these things go it's funny how you said there about your dad dying tally because my dad died when i was 16
0: i was and 17
1: I'm, right and i'm i'm 32
0: I'm 32.
1: <laughs> right, so very similar <laughs> trajectories similar
0: here.
1: <laughs> yeah, very and, similar here.
0: And we like musicals, so we we need to talk about that too. Because we okay, definitely will. On.
1: We'll definitely talk about musicals. But you know, I've got a picture of my um, of my dad, my brother, and I on the um, mantelpiece over there. And it was quite close to uh, when he died. The thing with my parents is that they were both larger for periods of their life. You know, when when we were younger, they they worked incredibly hard. They owned their own business. It was very much their priority to work uh particularly particularly dads i mean my mum has had body image issues her entire life she'll tell you that and and she's she shared with me photos of herself when she was younger she's wearing baggy clothes you know and and my mum when she was in her 20s was actually relatively straight sized but it was this almost obsession with weight and food and and all the and rest is co- the core and the body dysmorphia that caused the weight yeah. cycling. That's the thing, you know, that's, that, that's the literature that people don't realize this kind of constant on and off the diet will cause, you know, greater weight cycling than anything else. But my dad, so my dad did have a period of being in a larger body, but he lost a lot of weight before he died. But, but that was because of a thyroid disorder. And then unfortunately he had a heart attack and one that obviously wasn't just a, you know, a warning sign of his lifestyle, but because I was younger, you know 16 i'd 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 been bullied a bit about my weight you know i had kind of like puppy fat years and different things you know i'm looking at this picture of me now and there's not there's you know there's nothing on me i was so active in my teens played rugby for you know three different teams really found a found a knack for that but because I had internalized this kind of weight bias and weight stigma, you know, I bought a men's health subscription. I was like, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So being overweight is unhealthy. You know, you're going to get heart disease and you're going to die. And that was what led so much of my fat phobia was this internalized belief that if I let myself get fat, then I will die.
0: Yeah. God. And, that,
1: and I'm getting emotional speaking about it because
0: yeah.
1: I'd not really kind of made that connection for so long that so that was why so much of the health at every size literature was so triggering for me because i was kind of associating my dad's death with it with his size and mm. it wasn't it wasn't his size it was the fact that he smoked he never exercised he didn't really drink but he didn't eat particularly balanced Probably either
0: very stressed
1: oh incredibly stressed Lacky you know sweet. and. Yeah. All of those things, you know, they, 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 they ran their own and genetic genetics,
0: about, you know,
1: yeah. You know, like his, his mum was always a, you know, larger woman. His dad was always quite lean, but, you know, played a lot of golf. His dad, his dad was incredibly active all the way through. His dad lived until he was 85, you know, and then still mm-hmm. suffered from a heart attack, but not until then. It was all of these other things, the stress in particular, you know, they ran their own business where they worked 7am till 7 p.m. every day in an office next to our house and then on weekends would travel and do, you know, weekend events and shows. You know, you know they, my dad wouldn't take extra time off. He'd be back in the office at 7 a.m. on Monday morning checking emails and processing orders because inbred within my dad was this innate drive to provide,
0: mm. you
1: know, and and actually all at the expense of his, of his own well-being. It's actually really
0: sad. And it's so interesting, isn't it, how, oh God, I mean... <laughs> I know so many people in the dead parents club that are also in this space as well, and you know I think so many of us look to to somehow protect ourselves from that same fate. It's really interesting, and I really appreciate you opening up about that because it can be such a catalyst for you. And I'm presuming then very similar timelines of when my dad passed away, and you know I was, it was like. I'd gone to drama school and it was whilst I was at drama school, which was by that point, like maybe like four years later, four or five years later. So, Mm. you know, when I was in therapy, I was like, these are not linked. My dad's death and my relationship with food and all of a sudden going down this disordered food thing, they're not linked because it's so much later. And I was at drama school and it was about drama school. And then she was like, (laughs) they're linked. I was like, (laughs) mind blown excuse me what how can these two things be possibly be related because this is about food this is not about grief but it it so is it was my way of coping and this is my frustration with diet culture in general is it teaches us that in our most vulnerable difficult times that this is a great coping mechanism to use and it's Mm. what we all learn that's what diet culture teaches us on a a societal level that if we can just do control that then we'll be fine and I so wish that same energy was given to if I was able to express and feel my emotions how much healthier would I be overall in terms Mm. of you know my overall well-being and therefore if my well-being is in a good place how therefore do I behave in terms of caring for my Body caring for my mind. Would I make mm. a lot of different choices? Probably. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
0: So for you finding health at every size, intuitive eating, um, and the, that going down that path, how long would you say for you it was finding that and getting to the point where you are at now with that you kind of mentioned trying to like straddle the fence, if you like? Mm-hmm. What was that process like for you? I think there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who similarly find this approach still desperately want to lose weight and kind of don't know what to do with that i just wonder mm. what your what your process was like for you
1: so even if you look back to 2022 you know even if you go back in my feed 12 months which obviously no one ever will but even if you listen back to um previous podcast episodes i produced because i even rebranded my podcast and you know created a whole new theme to it to a weekly show rather than A daily show and all these other things that I did but it it was it was hard because I'd always been the guy because of that weight loss transformation I had and because of these values that I'd you know put all over the internet and all over my coaching software about my dad died from a heart attack and that's not going to happen to me and I don't want that to happen to you either and therefore you should do this so that you can you know I'm I'm horrified to say that that was messaging I put out there you know subliminally like you know if you want to be there For people, you've got to be healthy, and therefore that's that requires this. But what I was displaying was this very disordered relationship. But after I'd found disordered eating and things, as I said, I towed the line for a while. I was like, right, so let's not make people count calories, you know, because it's unsustainable. It you know goes down this entire uh, bad line of uh, you know obsessive compulsive food food activity and restriction and all the rest of it. Let's just be the guy that can help people, you know, heal their relationship with food, but also lose fat. What, what's what's wrong with that you know um not really realizing the kind of exact opposites that those two play but i was towing the line with that because i thought to myself yeah you know come on if people if people eat plenty of protein if they you know eat plenty of fruit and veg if they you know if they exercise if they walk if they get good sleep they do all of these good habits weight loss will just come up come as a result because clearly you know this was in my head i don't believe this now clearly they're not doing those things because otherwise they'll have that was my rationale and of course for some people that can be the case you know if they are leading incredibly sedentary lives without much movement and you know they are eating very kind of unbalanced meals then maybe they will lose a bit of body fat when they change into that up to a point but that was my rationale and it wasn't until with my own body weight it was continually cycling i was continuing those own patterns i was like right i need to just embrace intuitive eating i need to see what this is all about i need to go through this journey myself and so i did it was it was the mind blown emoji personified around this idea of people being larger and still being incredibly healthy and so as i embraced intuitive eating myself and i did gain weight i was i was very scared to talk about it because i was like my entire identity had been piece together of this person who had lost fat, had, you know, solved the puzzle that so many people tried to solve. So I was like, how can I sit here in this larger body and show up and talk about health and fitness anymore? I had to embrace these things that I'd become to know is truth with regards to intuitive eating and health, every size, you know, I had this, such a better relationship with, with food. I've, I've got such a better relationship with exercise. You know, I, I have so much more to my life that keeps me happy. That isn't food and exercise. And it was stepping into that space proudly and knowing that I would get some stigma from it, from some people, but just to be like, If I need, if I'm going to help other people with these as well, you know, and, and working on my own body image, it was like, I'm finally in a place where I definitely have low days, but I'm the most confident and happy I've ever been. And I'm probably one of the largest I've ever been, but that's because of all of that other deep inner work that isn't talked about on a health and fitness program. Whereas like, here's your three times a week training program and here's your calories.
0: I completely agree with that. I'm yes. And you know what? I we have lit. We are we are like the boy and girl version of each other. I think. I know. So, I find because that very like, funny actually. When I was a teenager, I was like, I'm the size I am now. I'm like a very. I'm a size fourteen. You know, and I was that when I was I, when I was sixteen. I, my dad died at seventeen. That's what size I was.
1: Mm.
0: I've. That's kind of. I am. I look like my mom. I'm gonna look like my mom when I'm older. She's basically the same size as me. Maybe one size up, but um, she's older, and. You know like there's just it's funny how I went going through all that transformation process and you kind of like end up where you started. Mm. Okay so I know that genetically like this is where my where my kind of set point ranges. I know that for me that this is roughly where where my body thrives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never feeling kind of more at ease with everything. And I do believe that's partly your 30s as well because yeah. we both know ourselves so much better. We yeah. kind of you kind of really let go of all, a lot of I don't know, like, do they like me, Yeah, yeah,
1: you stop people-pleasing as much.
0: Yeah. Or
1: trying to die for people as affection. Um, I mean, you mentioned there getting therapy. I think it's just vital for everyone. But sorry, you were about to make
0: a point. Well, my point was that also you mentioned you're married. I'm getting married next year. And I do think Mm. that there is a privilege to being in a relationship where you know that they love you regardless. Like, it was Mm. so funny to me. The other day, I was like, I, like my hair desperately needs doing. I haven't had any makeup on. I just felt, I just did not feel my best. I was like, oh, I just, I feel like such a bit of a hot mess at the moment. And <laughs> I was lying in bed and Jack, my fiance is just like, I mean, like, you, I was just thinking how much I love you and how great you are. And I was like, this is so, f- I was kind of like thinking to my head, like, this is so ironic because the day <laughs> I'm feeling like a bit insecure is <laughs> the day that you like, you're most into me. And mm-hmm. I think it just blows my mind because it's just like, well, yeah, because my thoughts aren't true, you know, my the way I perceive myself is not the way he perceives me. And I, but mm-hmm. I do believe that being in a safe relationship where people allow you the space to grow and change and you know that there's kind of a, almost an unconditional love there, like that is a huge help in this process, I think. does. Yeah spoken about and I think you can find that with friendships I think you can find that in those dynamics too but I do think mm. there's part of being in a relationship where people are like I think you're really great and actually the reason I love you the most is because I think you're a lovely person and I don't really what you look like you know
1: yeah I mean you said two brilliant things there one was the whole like you are not your thoughts and that's mm. the, the biggest thing that I'm i basically talk with clients about every consultation we have is this idea that you know you are going to get some critical thoughts in your head because at the minute you are a complete and utter you are being a complete and utter dickhead to yourself and because you've been taught that that's the way that you need to show yourself discipline motivation and all this other bullshit right it's like you know you, you think that you need to try harder do more eat less move more sleep more have sex more, you know, you're putting all this pressure on yourself to just do more and be more Mm -hmm. that you are going to be a complete and utter, you know, awful critic to yourself. It's the diet critic voice that the intuitive eating talks about. And the best way to do that, as you said, is to separate yourself from your thoughts. You know, your thoughts are going to come, they're going to go, they're like clouds in the sky, you can't change them. You can't change them, you can't fight them, you can't force them. But what you can do is choose not to believe them you know you don't need to believe and resonate and act in line with your thoughts because they're just thoughts the second brilliant thing you said there is people love you for who you are not Mm -hmm. for the size clothes that you wear and clothes sizing again are just again completely arbitrary made up I'll, i'll i'm a different waist size in jeans than i am to chinos than i am to trousers let alone where i buy them from not to mention because i actually do have muscle mass and you know healing my body image was was great because I was like, I was so thankful for the things that I had that actually people don't have. You know, like I genetically put on muscle very, very easily, right? And I'm I'm actually a very strong person. I didn't know that in my mid-20s. I was constantly comparing myself to people who were stronger, fitter, more, you know, more aesthetically pleasing than myself, that I was just fucking miserable rather than mm-hmm. actually being, you know, loving the fact that I did have this genetic privilege and everybody has different genetic privileges that they, you know, they can, can find. But the point is that people love you for who you are, not, not for the way that you, you look like. That's what you bring into it. And as you said, we're both in our thirties. We're, we're in very committed relationships. We've both had therapy. Another thing that I'd, I'd say to people is definitely look back at a lot of the kind of messages and stories and things that you're told as you grow up because a lot of that is what you believe now and a lot of your relationships with your parents and your parents will have always hopefully done, you know, their best by you. Obviously other people don't, other people have very traumatic parenthood experiences, but, you know, in loving families that your parents will have done done their best, but they'll have also been dealing with their own shit, you know, And, and inevitably a lot of that will have been washed into you. And there's a really great Instagram account. Her name is Nicole Lepera. She's the holistic psychologist. She shares a lot about this on her feed. She's written a great book called How To Do The Work. There's a bit of stuff in there about the leaky gut and kind of things that you kind of need to ignore and fly past, but all of the things around, you know, in a child of, hey, if you're a perfectionist, it's probably because of this. Or, hey, mm-hmm. if you're a people pleaser, it's probably because of this. And hey, if you've got no boundaries, it's probably because of this. And hey, if you're an overachiever and you never rest, it's probably because of this. And it's not even that you need to do anything massively on that. It's just the fact that you have now an awareness of your habitual behaviors and you can kind of bring your conscious self now to your own life to think, how do I want to act? And that's the biggest thing I I bring in coaching is, yeah, intuitive eating counseling brilliant. Health at every size is fantastic. And, you know, everybody should learn to love movement. But it's actually more this idea of, bringing somebody's consciousness to themselves to be like who are you you know who who are you who are you as a person what do you enjoy what are your values what are your priorities and how do you want to show up in the world with regards to food and fitness and then how can we start to make that a reality rather than you being stuck in these habitual patterns of maybe eating and exercise that Mm -hmm. actually don't serve you and you don't even enjoy
0: interestingly what you said there I say exactly with my clients you know who are you beyond your body because actually that's the most important and one thing I get them to do is write down like how would you describe yourself what are the things you're most proud of that you've done and also like how would your loved ones describe you that have nothing to do with what you look like or anything to do with your body because I think that's so important have you heard of uh, Lindsay and Lexi Kite of Beauty Redefined they've got a book called More Than a Body and I thoroughly recommend and their work is so all about that that very topic like the idea that you are more than a body and I think that's a really really powerful way to look at body image and I think that's the way you're looking at body image.
1: Massively and I've not heard of them before um, and I, I definitely will check them out but that was it was part of the intuitive eating book and 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 health at every size that was very much those kind of questions to, to around values and qualities and qualities that exist that only I I have you know and, and we've 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 chatted a few times about musical theater and it definitely needs to be the next segue for me you know I grew up I grew up as this lad that as a teenager who had a lot of different interests you know I enjoyed video games I enjoyed pokemon actually till I still do. And I'm not ashamed to say that anymore. Um, you know, but as a teenager, that was kind of like repressed as a kind of like childhood thing. I loved rugby. I loved cricket. I loved musical theater. did all these things. When I was in my early 20s, I was a CrossFit coach, sorry, <laughs> early, mid to late 20s. I was a CrossFit coach, a full-time CrossFit coach. I was a CrossFit athlete. That's all I had. And I did none of these things that used to bring me joy or have any other quality. So my entire livelihood and identity was was built about how well I performed at CrossFit and how good I looked. Good, quotation marks. And, and that's why I said I was miserable because all I was doing was comparing myself to other people rather than actually focusing on kind of like my own journey, my own happiness and, and all of these other things, you know, unique qualities that were mine outside of my performance in the gym or outside of my aesthetic qualities. I, I had some... Pretty bad periods of depression around 2019 and 2020. And and that was around the same periods that I started to really like learn about these things. And I had really low confidence there was a bit of a shift because I'd, I'd left the CrossFit space, both coaching and competing wise. So I'd lost a huge circle of like friendship and society from that and identity. And then, the, and then there was a huge confidence issue as a coach because I was still, you know, peddling macros and things like that and not really getting results with people and going, what the hell am I doing wrong? And it's because I wasn't actually coaching anyone. I was just giving plans. And so that was a big transformative experience as well. And as I said, it's only now that I kind of, have the confidence to really speak about it, but it's so hard when I'm in a circle of, you know, I'm I'm in several circles of different fitness coaches and even just seeing it on social media, you know, for me to show up and say, look at me now, I've, I've gained weight. There'd be a huge amount of the fitness industry that'd be like, that's a failure. You've just not been disciplined enough. You've let yourself go, just an excuse, doesn't want it enough. He should try harder. That's just toxic bullshit.
0: Yeah, you just don't want it bad enough.
1: Exactly. You clearly eat too much. You know, just stop, Just put the biscuits down. It's that kind of shit. And, and, and of course, when I mean, a client of mine had that said to her in an NHS office by a doctor. So it's like when it's even peddled that far, it's like you see how far we have to go.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the doctors is one of the first place we get it, you know, with BMI and doctors feel the pressure to use BMI, even though we know it's deeply flawed, but it's a box that they have to tick.
1: We It's rubbish, but we have to use it. Ah, oh, that annoyed me because I, I got health insurance and they were like, yeah, your premium's this because your BMI is this, but we'll give you extra activity points if you do this weight loss program. I was just like...
0: No. Yeah, because I think it was like 1997, wasn't it, that the BMI suddenly changed overnight. It went down by two points, which suddenly made all these people who were in the, you know, quote, normal weight category into the overweight category. And it was all because it was a way to make more money for the insurance companies, because it was the insurance companies that originally wanted to use the, the BMI as a marker of health, because they could make more money that way. I don't want to sound like it's a big conspiracy theory, but there's a lot of evidence for this. That's
1: what you worry about, isn't it? You, you make it sound almost like a bit of a conspiracy theory. But that was what the Health at Every Size book was really good at, was like showing all of that research and all of the funding. And it was just like, That's actually really interesting.
0: And also really recommend checking out the Maintenance Phase episode on BMI. They also have the episode like, um, is it healthy to be obese? Something along the lines of that Um, because it's excellent research. It's hilarious. And if I was going to recommend another podcast, it would definitely be that one. Okay, Johnny. So as we established, we are live twins. And the other thing that we have in common is musical theater. I've seen that you've just finished doing a production um like what was that like
1: yeah because I'd, I'd always been involved in like school productions that was very much my first first stimulus to kind of uh, to musical theater and to be able to kind of get back on stage because it was very much I'd, I wanted to do it just before the pandemic hit it was just before the pandemic it was 2019 that I'd started because it was 2018 that I left CrossFit coaching and so I had this. Now I was like, "Oh man, I've got my evenings back. You know, I have I have my evenings to do things." Um, but it wasn't until twenty nineteen that I'd really kind of identified it was something I wanted to pursue. But back then, I auditioned for a couple of things and got, you know, got given a couple of roles. But unfortunately, the shows had to not go ahead because of the pandemic. And and one of those shows never uh, got got reinstated. One of them did, and that was what was the production of Rents that I did last year. It was in sort of March and April. And, and that was the first time I'd been back on stage then since I was a professional. So I did three years of musical theatre at Preston Uni. And it was effect, It was a uni degree, so it wasn't as, as intense as a drama school. But we did do a performance every year. So you had like a performance module. So you did a full school production every year. But yeah, I did. I went to drama school as a master's, basically. I was like, right, I'll go to an actual drama school for my postgrad. Um, and the only one that I auditioned for was the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama that did a one-year musical theatre uh, MA. It was only in its second year of running when I auditioned. Got in and yeah, so I, I trained there for a full year in Cardiff and then became a professional afterwards. But I only, I only have ever had two professional jobs, one of which was like an original musical in Durham and another was a pantomime in Devon. But I'll take them. I got paid to work, so...
0: Oh, I didn't know you went to drama school. We really are life twins, aren't we? Okay, Johnny. before we go, I ask everyone, so I have to ask you, what has been your most recent train happy moment? Oh, wow,
1: that's a great question. Um, Do you know what? It was actually yesterday, and and this is something that I've loved about healing my relationship with food and exercise is because I'm so less focused on uh, like such a strict exercise plan. And yesterday, you know, the weather was really nice my workload had increased a bit because of just some some last-minute things that had come up. Um, and I wasn't really feeling like going to the gym and slogging out on, you know, different intervals and stuff. I had a very low weightlifting day idea kind of in my head. I'd, I'd weightlifted a lot the day before. So I just thought to myself, hey, the dogs, they they need a walk. I'm going to go and I'm going to just go on a run with my dogs and i'm just going to do some intervals in the fields i'm just we've got a couple of fields near us I, that's got a really nice loop i was like i'm just going to do a couple of loops intervals you know a minute on minute off walk with the dogs have some great time in the sun with them they're going to love it i'm going to love it and do you know what it was the perfect thing it was exactly what i needed and it felt amazing to do it
0: I love that. You cannot be some just good time outside in the sunshine with the dogs. I Absolutely love that. Okay, Johnny, where can people find you? Where can they support you? Where can they find your work?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm on Instagram mainly. That's the main place that I put out my, my thoughts on a daily basis. It's very not like curated, perfect looking content anymore. Because again, I had to get over that perfectionism. So it's very much like tweets or photos of me journaling. Um, and, and then just me sharing my thoughts about life and, and this kind of journey. Um, so that's just my name. So it's at Johnny Landles. Uh, my last name is really annoying to spell. Um, so I'm sure you'll include a link there for people to kind of click so that they don't have to try and spell it. Uh, my website is nextstepnutrition.co.uk. That's really simple. And I've just actually written um, like a 40 page mini book called Break Free from Food and Body Obsession. Uh, and that's available to download there as well.
0: Well, Johnny, I've absolutely loved chatting to you. Like I said, I found my twin. This has actually been unreal. <laughs> yeah, ha- we'll have to have you back at some point. I'm sure I feel like we've got plenty more to talk about. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: But that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please do let us know on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast, And we do want to hear from you. We want your questions. We want to hear your train happy moments. And we'd love to feature you as Train Happy Trooper of the Week. So remember, you can get in touch with us via our WhatsApp it is 07599 927 537 and whatever podcast platform you're choosing to listen to us on please rate and review it really helps the show and it really helps spread the train a happy message and that is it for this week I'll be back with a brand new episode for you next Monday see you then